It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me, as always, is Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, who uh, spent an afternoon at Fenway Park yesterday. Bill, how you doing? I'm well, Bill. How are you? Good. Um, so why don't we start with the festivities at Fenway before we talk about the, uh, the horrendous baseball we've been seeing for the last couple of weeks. Why don't we start with, mm. on a positive note? Uh, another kind of... Nice ceremony, at least in my opinion. Yeah, the Red Sox do that sort of thing very well, and, and they have you know since they started winning championships again in 2004. Uh, opening day is, is, has always been a special occasion at Fenway Park, and it's even more so when you're handing out World Series rings. Um, you know, it's nice to see so many of the guys back from the past championship teams. Uh, Manny Ramirez made his first appearance at Fenway Park in, in many years. That was kind of neat. You know, um, we don't get to see Manny very often. You know, it's great to see him and, and yeah. Pedro Martinez and Kurt Schilling, um, regardless of what you think about Kurt Schilling's political affiliations and his views. No, he deserves um, to be there, obviously. What he did on the field uh, yeah, for the Red Sox deserves to be recognized in some way. Right. Um, you know, so it was it was great to see those guys out there. It was great to see the Patriots as well. Sure. Um, Gronk you know, and you Edelman. Julian Edelman and, and Gronk there. Gilmore. Um, you know, Stefan Gilmore, Matthew Slater. Yep. Uh, you know, they, they had a good representation on hand. Uh, a day of, of festivities, a day of celebration, um, and one that reminds you of... You know how good it has been around here for so long. Uh, you know, especially during the 2018 calendar year. Absolutely, um, it was uh, well done as usual. The weather sort of cooperated. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't ideal, but it wasn't pouring out either, right? Uh, no rain, but yeah. uh, I was thankful to be inside yeah. watching the game. Uh, walking back to my car a little later on, uh, probably around 7:30. It was miserable yeah. out there, just By cold yeah. and raw. Um, you know, credit to the fans for for turning out. Uh, credit to maybe half of them for for lasting into the ninth inning. Uh, Fenway certainly emptied out before the last pitch. Um, you know, but it, it was definitely a, a day that you know you're not going to forget whether you're a player or, or someone who was there. And, and I think that's kind of what they're going for. Sure, sure. Yeah. Truth be told, I was not. Uh I didn't feel too badly about missing my first opening day in probably three or four seasons because of that weather. And obviously what we saw on the field uh, didn't uh, engender a lot of uh, a lot of good feelings. So mm. why don't we why don't we turn to our uh, to turn to what happened uh, on the diamond at Fenway Park? Yeah, Let's get to the real stuff. here, yeah. The gloom and doom. <laughs> right. Because that's what I do best. I, I won't speak. So for my you, question but... is, have the Red Sox already been mathematically eliminated? <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> They're playing like they have been. Let's let's hope not yeah. because uh, it would be a long few months if that's the case. Believe me. So um, they are three and nine. They are in sole possession of last place in the American League East. Uh, you know, small comfort. Uh, but uh, every other team except the Tampa Bay Rays has a below five hundred record right now. Mm. But, um, you know, Bill. Uh, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of angst over this start. And truth be told, it's you know you you. Get out of the gate at three and nine, after having the kind of year you had last year. There's going to be some concern, and uh, I don't think I'm not somebody who believes you can actually win the pennant in April. But I think you can lose it, and I don't think they're there yet. They haven't lost anything. But, sure. Um, 
just a lot of concern um, all around, and really, I think the pitching uh, most of all. It just doesn't look like these guys are ready uh, coming out of spring training. Well, just do a simple calculation in terms of math. They're six games under five hundred right now. No one told me they'd be math today, Bill. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Believe me, it's not my strong suit either, but I'm, I'm going to keep it very remedial okay, for both good. of us here and, and for our listeners. I have a sketch pad here in case. Well, that's good because we might <laughs> need me. that. Um, you know, you're six games under 500 right now, which isn't too big a hole. Now, if that spreads out to, say, maybe 10 games under 500 or, or 12 or you know 15, um, and this really starts to go downhill quickly, yeah. uh, you could be sitting there at, say, you know, eight and twenty-two after thirty games, you're running out of games in terms with respect to try and make that up. If if you're going to be a playoff team, if you're going to win ninety games, ninety-two games, ninety-four games, whatever it might be, that puts you twenty twenty-five games over. Mm-hmm. You got to make up thirty, thirty-five, forty games at, at that point. So and and you have a limited space to do it. Um, so you can't let this get too far away. Right. Um, you know, you need to start turning this at, at some point. I think that the good thing for the Red Sox, and, and it's easy to forget when you watch them play right now, particularly how they're playing, not just the results, hmm. is that you would much rather be in a position to try to do that when you have the talent that they do. Eventually, that's going to come through on the field. Uh, you have a couple guys who are hitting well right now, you don't really have anyone who is pitching well right now. Um, and that's really what it takes to roll off a six, a seven, an eight game winning streak is a consistent start. If you look at them currently, I think they're one and six when they score the first run of a game, which last year they might have won 80% of those. Opposite, yeah. Um, the starting pitching really can't hold anything for them right now. And, and you have to wonder, you know, if the lineup's sort of looking at those guys and thinking, geez. How many runs do we need to give you? Yeah, and that's a good point. If you looked at some of these uh, game results over this over the first couple of weeks, you know, there's some games they've scored eight runs and five runs and four runs and six runs. And typically, if you're a good team, you put four or five or six runs on the board, you've got a very good chance of winning. Um, you know, and the other thing is, if it if it was just Chris Sale or if it was just uh, you know Nathan Avaldi or if it was just Porcello. Then you'd say, okay, whatever. This guy's off to a he's scuffling's off to a tough start. You know, you've got other uh, solid guys around him. But mm-hmm. uh, as we know, just overall, the pitching, uh, starting pitching, ha- has been bad. And I, I wanted to pick your brain on that a little bit. Uh, you know, is it is it because they just didn't get the work they needed to get in Fort Myers? Is it because Alex Cora kind of eased up on the? On the pedal a little bit because they played. Obviously, they played deep into the postseason last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and as you reminded me before we started the podcast, this is in stark contrast to last year's spring training with Alex Cora, his first as the manager of the Red Sox. Yeah, last year there was a very noticeable edge with this team. There was a collective chip on their shoulder. They were two-time playoff failures. Right. Alex Cora was a first-year manager. Uh, a guy who had been a utility player his entire career, so someone who had to survive in the game on his wits and, and on you know a fair amount of, of playing in the margins, um, which he's brought to a managerial capacity and done so quite well uh, with his attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not someone who was ever allowed to sort of coast through on his talent. He couldn't do that. No. So he takes that same approach into the dugout, and I think it served him very well last season. It will serve him very well this season and, and going forward. 
Um, but the staff, if you look at the way they were used last season, um, you took a lot of tread off some tires there in, in October, very late in the year with what you asked of David Price and of Nathan Avaldi and of Rick Porcello. Um, and the thinking was that you wanted to get them rest throughout the offseason. It's a shorter offseason than most teams. You played all the way to the end of October. You wanted to get them to a point where they were fresh enough and built up enough where they would be strong again in September and in October when the games really matter. Mm-hmm. What's been forgotten is that in order to get to October, you need to win some games in April too and in May. And I think you're seeing a lack of sharpness, a collective lack of sharpness from the pitching staff early. Uh, they're getting no favors from opponents. It seems like every pitch they leave out over the plate is hit hard. Last year, some of those might have been popped up. You know, They might have been fouled off. Um, they seem to have some sort of level of fortune last season that they don't have right now. Right, right. Um, but we're through 12 games and none of their starters has a win. They're all in the bullpen. It's really jarring when you look at the contrast from last year to this year. I think that's probably the strongest reaction that, that most people have is just the contrast between the two seasons. No, and, and uh, you, you make an excellent point when you contrast last year to this year. You know, last year, Alex Cora could seem to do no wrong. You know, even as people who were watching the game might have questioned what was happening, some of the in-game decisions when he pulled a uh, a, uh, a pitcher out, uh, giving certain guys days days off. It didn't matter because it all worked. You know, that they they marched to 108 wins. They they cruised through the the uh, the playoffs. He's he's resting guys. He's pulling guys out. He's putting starters in the bullpen. Everything worked. I guess it's hard to expect the same thing happening two years in a row and it admitted admittedly it's very early it, there's only you know we've only played 12 games here but um, so far none of that stuff seems to be working but uh, moreover the pitchers just look lost out there and that really surprises me because um, you know we hear so much about um, how these these guys they're veterans they they know what they're doing out there they've got Dana Lavangi who's spoken so highly of mm-hmm. um, and yet you know, they're giving up home runs like crazy even uh, in yesterday's start Chris Sale started off pretty well velocity inched up a little bit it was better I, I think he retired uh, I forget how many bad, seven in a row seven in start. a row and people and you know people. At least I was thinking, okay, this looks more like the Chris Sale. Yes. Maybe he's past that spring training hump. Because everyone was saying, well, it's still sort of spring training. Well, uh, you know, then he reverted back to, to, to the guy that we'd seen in the last few starts. So uh, is it panic time? No. Is it concern? Is it concerning? Yeah, absolutely it's concerning. I think it's the further you get into the season, maybe you could say the more difficult it will be to make adjustments. Yeah. Because you're up against teams who are firing on all cylinders against you. Um, oh, yeah. The champs are coming to town. They, they, they want to beat them. Right. You know, and last year, they just kicked everyone's faces in, right. going 108 and 54. Uh, it just dominance, unlike we've seen from any Red Sox team right. in our lifetime, in anyone's lifetime. Um, you know, but you look at this team and, and you think pitchers are leaving balls out over the plate, whether it's fastballs, off speed pitches, whatever it may be. And you would think that in spring training you could skip a start and throw a couple extra side sessions and you could tinker in the bullpen and, and maybe between outings. The regular season doesn't necessarily allow you that luxury right. where you can say, I want to work on my changeup or I want to work on my slider or my two-seam fastball. Let me just throw 
10, 15 extra pitches in my bullpen session, and we can push a start back in spring training by a day. Yeah. Because I need an extra day to recover. Right. You can't right. do that now. Well, especially when, when you started out with three and nine, and now sort of the pressure is on to start getting back up close to the 500. It's one thing, last year they started, what, 17 and two 17 or something? 17 and two, correct. And so they, they, they immediately had a cushion, and you know, if somebody had a, had a bad outing or needed to maybe work on something, and you know, it, it, it wasn't a big deal because, okay, you lost the game, big deal, you're 17 and three, or you're 18 and five. Well, you know, three and nine, three and nine looks awful. Um, so I think um, I, I think those all of those players are starting to feel it a little bit. Well, the the nature of baseball being what it is, you play every day. Yeah, and so starters take their turn. It's called that for a reason. Right. You take your turn in the rotation. Uh, there is no choice there. There isn't. Well, I'll just start after the next guy. <clears throat> you know, just push me back a day and move this guy up a day, and right. I'll just make my start a little later. That's not an option. These are your five starters. They're locked in. Four of them have gotten paid to long-term deals. They're going to be here. Um, you know, so it's this group is going to have to figure it out. Uh, you know, the only guy who's really shown any sort of sharpness, I think, in my mind, would be David Price. He's probably been the best of the group, um, you know, and even he has a six earn run average. Right. Uh, you know, his his strikeouts to walk is is much better than the rest of the guys, which suggests he's had better command at, at certain times. Um, you know, but you look at Chris Sale yesterday. Uh, starts off, gets the first seven batters. We saw a pitch at ninety-five miles an hour. It means he's feeling pretty good. Sure. You know that was very encouraging. But he couldn't put hitters away late in counts. Whether it was with his fastball or with his secondary stuff, uh, kind of got singled to death there in the third inning and in the fourth inning. And you look at the Toronto offense. The only guys you would really know there, you know, might be Randall Grichuk. Who, who they just paid, who came over from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty good hitter. Um, you know, otherwise, really short on, on marquee names. And you see Sale giving up hits to Freddie Galvis and uh, you know, Billy McKinney and, and Richard Urania. And you're thinking to yourself, the Chris Sale of last year would have been sharp enough, would have been dominant enough to just cut through this lineup. He's not that guy right now. He's searching for it. And, and maybe you would have liked to have seen him do this a month ago, yeah, in Fort Myers. Well, that was the question I had, you know, when when sales started to go south, and and you know, I was looking at it, thinking, is this just because he hasn't really built up the stamina or the arm strength because he hasn't gotten the same kind of workload uh, in Fort Myers that he did last year, or is this part of a grand plan where they? obviously did not give him the same workload because they want to start him off slow. They don't mind that the uh, velocity is down a little bit. They'd rather have him pitching strong into August and September, which he wasn't able to do last year. And or, the, and, or the year before. Or the year before. To be fair. And this is the price that, that, that they pay. Now, you know, they, as you said, they just signed him to a big extension. I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty certain that they feel confident that he's healthy. Correct. Yes. Um, there, there's no way that they're going to commit that sort of financial number to someone if there was a question who has red flags on yeah. his physical there's no way right right uh, but still you, you want to see some results out there for, for your investment and so far they haven't been uh, they haven't been forthcoming no question uh, so it, it, I guess it's it you know it seems silly to pr- try and point out some of the highlights but there have been a couple of people in the lineup who've been doing pretty well uh, obviously it gets lost in all of this 
you know, uh, concern over the the record. But JD Martinez is off to a nice start. Yeah, no real surprise there. Yeah. Uh, he sort of picked up where he left off last season. Um, you know, and JD Martinez is is the type of guy who it seems like he could just fall out of bed hitting. Right. I, I mean, that's that's kind of what he does. Uh, you know, leads the club with uh, you know three twenty six average, and and obviously is you know is someone who is going to be a cornerstone in this lineup. You expected that to happen. You wonder what's going to happen at the end of the season. He does have an opt-out, so maybe he's looking at this as a free agent year and he's going to try to cash in again. Right. Uh, you know, He's off to a good start in that regard, giving them exactly what you would expect. Now, there were a couple games where they turned him loose in the outfield, uh, and there were mixed results there. There was a drop ball in Seattle. Uh, you know, There was a looper to right center in Arizona that dropped in the Bermuda Triangle. J.D. Martinez was, was one of the points on that triangle. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, so you wonder about playing him in the field but in terms of his contribution at the plate I, I don't think you can ask any questions about it sure um Mookie Betts also off to a decent start I mean his, his average isn't what you what you would want but uh I think he's got uh, three home runs seven RBIs I, he, I think he'll be fine uh Mitch Moreland's off to a nice start in the power department anyway he's got I think he's leading the leading the team with four home runs um, yeah, seven extra base hits already in twelve games. This is kind of what we saw out of him last and year, and they're always timely. They always tend tend to be timely home runs. Mm. You know, um, won the game in Arizona with a home run that's uh, right. on Sunday, the only run of the game and a one nothing win. Right. Uh, so um, on that first road trip, uh, which you were on for the first two stops, the opening uh, in Seattle and then in it Oakland, uh, there was a bit of news, and that was the extension of Xander Bogarts. Um, yeah, um, which I think surprised uh, some people because he's a Boris guy, and you just assume yes. that every Boris guy is going to go to free uh, go, go to the free agent market and cash in, you know, for every last penny, which is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it at least for me, it kind of came out of the blue a little bit. Um, what was your take on it? Do you think it's a good deal for the Red Sox? And were you surprised? Uh, Scott Boris, the mega agent, uh, for those who don't know, has a reputation and, and has, in past practice, uh, taken his clients to the market. Um, right. You know, he Generally, his clients will play out uh, their arbitration years and go into free agency and try and cash in. Uh, you, know, you just look what Bryce Harper did with the Phillies leaving the Nationals, uh, he's the latest example uh, of someone who you know, was offered money to stay in Washington as a 10-year deal for $300 million, said politely, no thank you, uh, got more years and, and a little more money total from the Phillies. Um, you know, and ultimately, there was a, a great breakdown of the negotiations there. Uh, you know, they went a little south. Washington made a couple missteps and probably could have retained Harper if, if they had acted in a little better faith, yep. I guess. But, yep. you know, back to Bogarts, uh, him being a Scott Boris guy and Dave Dombrowski having said that we're not necessarily going to negotiate contracts into the regular the season, season yep. it was a little bit surprising to have that announced uh, in the first week. Um, you know, you assume that they were negotiating uh, up to opening day and then might have stopped. Uh, and that wasn't necessarily the case. They had most of the contract done. The last provision was Boris wanted an opt-out in there for Bogarts. I think it's after 2022. Um, you know, but it was Xander Bogarts who helped push this deal through. It was Xander Bogarts who went to Scott Boris, who works for Bogarts right. as his agent, sure. and said, 
this is a fair deal. I want to be in Boston. It's the only place I've ever known. They signed him out of Aruba as an international free agent in 2009. Yeah, he was a kid. He was a kid. He was 16 years right. old. Uh, this is the only organization that he's ever known. Um, and it was important to him to stay. Um you know, at that press conference in Oakland, it was Bogarts between Dave Dombrowski and Scott Boris, and Dombrowski predictably looked thrilled to lock up a guy who's coming off a career year, who's 26 years old, uh, who's a plus offensive player at the shortstop position. Right. Uh, and Boris looked like he might have taken a sip of curdled milk. Uh, <laughs> you know, he wasn't necessarily thrilled no, that in was my not, mind. That was not his comfort zone, he for was, sure. He was happy for his client, of course. You know, how could you not be yeah. for someone who just made $120 million? But that's not necessarily his M.O. Uh, you know, it came out, he, he had comments earlier this week about how these early extensions and these buying out of arbitration years is going to affect the free agent market. So you know that he, in his mind, he's thinking... Dang, if I just could have gotten this guy to October, just, right, right, and I could have got him out there and could have gotten two or three teams into a bidding war and maybe might, driven up his price, right, that, that might have been more like 150, 160 million. That's right? his comfort zone. Sure. Uh, but Dave Dombrowski did very well here uh, when you consider that Manny Machado got 10 for 300 yeah. from the Padres. Xander Bogarts is not $10 million worse a year player no, than Manny Machado. No. No. Not even close. Right. That's that's to say that he's sixty six percent of the player that Manny Machado is. That is not true. No, no, as we know. And he had a great year for them last year. And, Fantastic. And, and if he comes close to that, I think it's money well spent. You add on to that, you know, not just on the field, but off the field. Oh yeah, Bogarts, a far superior character. Yeah, great, to someone like Machado, great clubhouse guy, great team player. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a pleasant surprise because I really did not think. You know, I just assume every every Boris client who's halfway mm. decent is going to go to go to the free agent market and well, cash that, in, and, and that's and, his that, pattern. and that's the record, rightly right. so. Yeah, yes. Uh, <clears throat> some other um, some other things we should touch upon: uh, the return of Dustin Pedroia, mm. um, who uh, who was involved in a play at second base yesterday. That I thought, uh oh, there goes the knee again. But it, it turned out to be nothing, I guess. Right? But yeah. Um, yeah. So, what's your early take on Pedroia so far? He's saying all the right things. Um, you know, obviously he hasn't. You know, didn't play at all. Well, he played three games. That's almost like not playing at all last year. Uh, kind of off to a slow start. Um, what, what's your What's your uh, prediction of of uh, Pedroia's season? Do you think he's going to be a, a real contributor? I'm really interested to see how he sort of reintegrates in the clubhouse uh, because he wasn't around much last year. Right, right. Um, and, yeah. he, and he's a veteran, so it's not like he's, you know, this new guy trying to feel his way around. I mean, he's these guy, he's a guy that other people go to. Veteran and a big personality, uh, you know, someone who has sort of made his career on that outsized personality, on that I'm going to prove you wrong ethos. Right. Um, you know, someone who whose physical stature w- was never anything impressive but through almost force of will alone and and how hard he played the game turned himself into an outstanding player Mm -hmm. um and that's something that that he's employed his entire career um in his case now i'm very interested to see how he comes back to a clubhouse that's not necessarily his right um last year it was sort of presided over by mookie betts and jd martinez and chris sale Price and too. David Price right. and Rick Porcello. Mm. Um, so I'll be interested to see how he sort of refits with the group. Uh, I'm assuming that you know, they're going to reach a point where that's going to be 
something smooth, and, yep. and he's going to come back in and, and start playing every day. Uh, he did have some interesting comments after the game yesterday. He talked about how he feels much better than he did last year. He feels like he's ready for the long term. Uh, he also mentioned that he did this with another three years in mind, which is the end of his contract right. term, right. Uh, which leads me to believe that he doesn't see a playing future after that. Mm-hmm. Um, he let that slip out. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but yeah. he knows that this is a three-year process. The Red Sox can't move him anywhere. He's not going anywhere. No. Uh, untradeable contract. Really. Right. So yeah. they're going to need to make it work on both sides. Uh, yeah. You know, Alex Cora before the game was asked how often he thinks Pedroia is going to play. He wouldn't give us anything uh, in terms of that. I think you can safely assume that you would probably handle him like a catcher. I don't think he'll play day games after night games. Right. Uh, I'm not necessarily thinking he's going to play three or four days in a row. Um, if he's healthy, I always thought that the maximum you'd get out of him is probably 90, maybe 100 games at second base. You sprinkle in Brock Holt and Eduardo Nunez based on matchups. Right. Um, you know, Say you have a, a left-handed pitcher out there, maybe you play... Nunez at some point, that would be a good spot to put him in. Uh, you have a right-handed pitcher, maybe it's a good spot to give Pedroia a day off. You put Brock Holt in. Um, the guys who are going to be balancing the playing time, it's it's a four-man group for two spots. Right. Devers, Nunez, Holt, Pedroia. Um, so you wonder how Alex Cora is going to distribute the at-bats. I would assume that he's going to want to play Devers a lot at third base. He's the third baseman of the future. Mm-hmm. He hits right-handers and left-handers pretty equally. Um, type of guy who I want out there. So you really have three players for one spot. Yeah. Uh, who's right. going to get squeezed in, in that calculus? I think they view Pedroia as the best defensive option. I think they're correct with that. Sure. You wonder if his bat is going to come along uh having not played, really, in, in a year and a half. Right. You know, I think right now with the mix of, of Pedroia, Nunez, and Holt, um, you know, there isn't one guy who's screaming, uh, you know, that that needs to play. Uh, but I wonder going forward, Bill, you know, he's got two more years on the on the deal? Pedroia has two more years a- after, after this, this season. season. Yes. You know, like how do the Red Sox deal with that position? If if there's a a, a really hot prospect or a free agent second baseman that becomes available that maybe fits uh, the budget and, and makes sense. I mean, the Red Sox are just going to go out and get that person and Pedroia is going to be relegated to the bench. Is that, you know, I guess you don't have to cross that bridge till you come to it. I mean, right now they don't have to worry about that because no one is screaming, to, oh, you got to get Eduardo Nunez in there for 160 games. Well, no, you don't. But what if you had, a, you know, a legit superstar that that you could grab for second base. It's interesting. I, I think you know Nunez exercised an option to return this year, and I think the Red Sox were probably okay with that with Pedroia's situation in mind. Sure, Brock Holt is going to be a free agent after this season. You wonder if Zhu Wei Lin at that point is promoted to be the utility guy and save a little money. Yeah, right. he could certainly play second base. Oh, defensively, pinch, no question. You sure. know, for 30, 40 games. Right. Uh, and his hitting has improved over the last two or three seasons in the minors. His OPS has steadily climbed. He was over 800 last year, if, if memory serves, at mm. Pawtucket. He's a serviceable player right now and, right. and someone who could probably play 30, 40 games at the position. Um, you, you don't really have anyone in the pipeline at this point uh, in terms of top, top prospects. Uh, you know, someone who profiles as, as an infielder who could play second base. I thought it was really interesting that the Paw Sox actually gave Michael Chavis a, a start mm. at second base the other night. Uh, they also gave him a start at first base 
the other night. Oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't realize that. So okay. him playing on the right side yeah. as their top prospect, as a right-handed hitter who could probably hit left-handed yeah. pitching at the major league level going forward, is he going to be someone who is shoehorned into the lineup? Yeah. Maybe to play second base, or maybe to replace Steve Pierce or Mitch Moreland at first base. Uh, you know, this, these are financial concessions that they're going to have to make when they look to sign Mookie Betts in a couple of years. Uh, you know, or when the next player comes up, uh, whether it's J.D. Martinez opting out, let's say after this season. Right. These are the decisions that, that Dave Dombrowski is going to have to make going forward, whether it be in terms of who to trade, in terms of player development, or in terms of you know, dishing out another one of these big money contracts to the core players they have right now. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to touch on a couple of things quickly here. Uh, one is, uh, and you mentioned the Paw Sox, uh, and the question that, that you and I were kind of debating before we uh, got on the uh, on the air, so to speak, here is the fate of old friend Sandy Leone, who is catching for the Paw Sox. And as you uh, rightly pointed out, the uh, he's known for his great work as, as a catcher working with uh, pitching staffs. Mm. How much longer do... Uh, do Red Sox fans and and the organization wait if the pitching is sort of still on the skids in another week or two? Does somebody say, "Hey, maybe we should give Sandy Leone a call and see if he'll, uh, you know, we'll 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 bite the bullet and eat the hun- the one seventy seven batting average or whatever it is if he can kind of straighten out some guys? Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, this has become sort of the the hot talking point. Uh, in the market, whether it be on sports radio or, or among the fans on social media, they want Sandy Leone back, much in the same way that folks wanted Doug Mirabelli back when, when it was found out that Josh Bard couldn't catch a knuckleball. You think the state police would have an escort for Sandy Leone from up, up, up uh, 95? It's a little shorter ride, so why not? Right. They do it for the Patriots sure. all the time. For, for folks who don't know, the yeah. Patriots fly out of Green Airport, right. so why not? Sure. Uh, certainly. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's reactionary at best over 12 games. I, I think you look at Blake Swihart, the start he's off, uh, a 10.09 OPS through right. eight games. Clearly their best offensive catcher. Oh, sure. Someone who so needs far, to yeah. be there at this point. Um, if you want to talk about defensive catchers, you look at Christian Vasquez yesterday catching Chris Sale. Two pass balls. One of those was on a cross-up, certainly. But one of those was his fault. Um, Toronto's running with impunity. It's on the pitcher and the catcher to get on the same page uh, and sort of stop the running game. Toronto stole home plate. Lourdes Gurriel takes off for the plate with Chris Sale in the windup. That's mostly on Sale, certainly. But it's also partly on Vasquez to to not necessarily know what's going on out there. Kind of embarrassing, though, isn't it? It's embarrassing. Home opener and the team comes in and steals home on you. It's embarrassing. But you know, Vasquez is thought to be... The defensive wizard back there—that right. that's what he was developed as as a prospect, uh, and he's not performing right now. They're not pitching well to him either. Um, you know, so if you're if you're going to say that the receiver determines how good the pitching staff is, I tend to agree with that to an extent. Right. Um, but I also think that the larger picture view includes the limited workload that these guys had in spring training, the fact that they're just bad right now whether they're thrown to Vasquez or to Swihart. I don't think it, it would necessarily matter if they were thrown to Leon hmm. uh, or, or you or I. Uh, <laughs> you know, at this point, they're, they're just really struggling. Um, and you can't, you, as an organization, you can't be reactionary like that after 12 games. That sparks some kind of panic 
in your clubhouse. It, it says that you're not certain of your decisions and that you're not certain of, of what you did you know, throughout the month of spring training or the six weeks of spring training. Uh, and it would say to, to your guys who are very established, who won a World Series last year, that we're changing directions all of a sudden right. when that's not something that we did before. Um, you know, that that has an odd way of, of unsettling a baseball team. So I, I think you need to you need to let this play out over a little bit of time. You need to let the rotation go through two or three more times. Need to see if they can find some collective sharpness in their outings. I think they're too good not to. Um, and if Swihart continues to produce offensively, Vasquez finds a way to muddle along here. I don't think you're going to hear much about this going forward. Right, right. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to just quickly touch on is that uh, the Pataka Red Sox open their home season this week. Yes. Thursday night against uh, Syracuse, I believe. Correct. Um, I think Thursday is supposed to be kind of a decent day weather-wise. I saw sun in the forecast. It's probably still chilly, of course. but Let's hope so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, so, uh, you know, some, some players you might want to get an eye on down there. And obviously, Chavis is one of them. Um, yeah, no question. Uh, obviously, uh, Zue Lin plays there and, and uh, Santa Leon is there. Um, so, always a good take. And obviously, only two seasons left for the Pataka Red Sox to actually be in Pawtucket. So uh, if you haven't been there for a while, we always encourage you to get out to McCoy. Well, in opening night Thursday, um, pretty decent list of attendees. You're going to present World Series rings to Sandy Leone, Tony Renda, Sam Travis, Bobby Pointer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have Matthew Slater there to, to celebrate with the Paw Sox. He's, he's double dipping here. <laughs> right, Goes he to the family, family one day. Sure. Now he's going to go to McCoy. Yeah. Uh, you also have the Syracuse Chiefs in town with Tim Tebow. Ah, yes. Tim Tebow will be there. Syracuse Mets. Uh, the Mets, sorry. <laughs> the form, Used to be formerly the Chiefs, the Chiefs right. I, I can never keep track. <laughs> right. Um, and it's not the Gwinnett Braves anymore either. <clears throat> what, what are they now? The Stripers. The Stripers. Something like that. Okay. Thank you, because I would have had no idea. <laughs> right. um, yeah, but certainly the, the Paw Sox have some interesting players, whether it's Chavis or Josh Ockamy, uh two position player prospects mm-hmm. who you know could move through the organization. Uh, the bullpen is probably where you'll find some names that could eventually help Boston, uh, you know, whether it's Travis Lakins or Jenry Mejia. Uh, Bobby Pointer is there, as I said. Um, Josh Taylor is a guy who they like as well, who's on the 40-man roster. Um, you know, all those guys you, you could see at some point this year in Boston. Um, you know, so it's, it's important that those guys get off to decent starts and, and are pitching well. Uh, Mejia is the only guy among that group who's not on the 40-man roster. They have three open spaces right now, so it wouldn't be an issue to, to promote him and activate him. Right. Um, but you're looking at those guys, and, and you're thinking you like to see that organizational depth, and, and you would like to see those guys performing well and, and progressing. Um, right. you know, it's something that I think it's important when, when you're able to promote players from within. I, I think it gives your minor league guys a, a little bit of a shot in the arm. It sort of says to them, we're not here just sort of making up the numbers and, and filling a space. Right. We actually have a chance to get up to Boston and help the major league team, and I, I think that really helps with your purpose on a day to day basis. Right, and you're not you're not looked upon as just a commodity. Hey, as soon as you get good enough, we're going to deal you so we can you know get get a get a hot process uh, get a a hot uh, player in a trade. Right. Um, so before we wrap up here, uh, the Red Sox uh, get back to work tomorrow night against the Toronto Blue Jays for two more games. I want to say one more, one more, one more game. Yep, just a brief two gamer, and then Baltimore comes in. Baltimore comes in for you know, a wraparound series. 
You're facing Baltimore and the Blue Jays here. You sh- you should kind of like win most of these damn games, right? <laughs> uh, well, and, and most importantly, you're playing at home. And I, I think right. a lot of folks looked at, at the West Coast swing, which was brutal. Uh, they traveled more than 6,600 miles. Um, you know, they were in four or five different places. It it, it was really tough. It was unprecedented. Uh, you know, the, the second longest road trip in the last hundred years to start a season mm. in, in baseball. Um, you look at Fenway Park, and it's a place they played very well last year. They're 57-24 and 24 at home, and, and you would think that you have some teams coming in here that, that you could do some damage against. Um, so that's why you have this hope that, that this is going to turn soon. They're just too good to have this happen. You would think. You would think. If they rattle off four or five in a row, then you're right back uh, close to 500 again. And then, then of course, we... Uh, we get to look at the old Yankees-Red Sox rivalry not too far away, and you'll be down in New York for that. What's left of the Yankees? <laughs> I mean, That's my true. goodness. Yeah, it's a mash unit, sure. You know, if you're looking at the Sox and you're thinking, well, this is underperformance right now. Yeah. You know, they, these guys can turn it around. At least they're healthy. You look at the Yankees, and my goodness. Uh, I mean, the, the amount of talent that's on the DL in New York. Uh, the IL, sorry. The, the IL. IL. Injured list. I'm going to do that about 35 times on the podcast this year. Right. I apologize. That's one. Right. It's still uh, the San Diego Chargers uh, to me. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, the amount of talent that, that they have on the IL, starting right away with Luis Severino, mm-hmm. who has shoulder problems, and now he has a lat strain right. and is out six more weeks. Uh, it's, it's stunning to me um, that they can even feel the team mm. at, at this point. They were on, uh, the, they had the Yankees game on the other night in the Red Sox clubhouse uh, out in Oakland. And the mm-hmm. Red Sox were watching the game. They were playing a little earlier than Boston. Right. Uh, and the Yankees had a hitter come up, uh, an outfielder named Mike Talkman, I think was his name. He was playing left field that night. Uh, and I think it was Mookie Betts who, who said, who's that guy in left field for the Yankees? <laughs> you never hear those and, words, right? And... <laughs> Players, especially a guy like David Price, who is a baseball fan who yeah. watches games in the clubhouse right. religiously, yeah. had no idea. Wow! Uh, it was Colton Brewer who was actually in the National League last year. Wow. Talkman was also in the National League, I believe, with the Rockies. Okay. Brewer knew who he was. <laughs> he was the only guy who right. knew who Mike Talkman was, and, and this is a guy who's playing for the Yankees right. at, at right. this point. You know, not he's not out there for the Orioles. He's not out there for the White Sox, right. um, so that speaks to the the depths and and you know the 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 serious nature of, of the Yankees' injury problems at this point. Those two games in New York are, are very much going to be a trial run. Uh, right, you, you yeah, might want to <laughs> you might want to say that we're going to turn up the juice and it's going to be intense and whatever else. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily get my expectations too high for those. Well, considering where the Red Sox are, and if you're a Red Sox fan, yeah, I, I think you're hoping that the Yankees don't get healthy too quickly here, and maybe you can uh, you can get some W's uh, yeah. ba- back uh, before uh, before the real games begin with the when the healthy Yankees later on. That's right. Uh, so, Bill, it's uh, it's always uh, it's always fun, uh, and we will do this again in a week. And have fun down in the Bronx. Thank you, Bill. I will.